Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew right spirits within us. Lord, speak to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Um, This past week, I read an article in the Atlantic titled, The Next Decade Could Be Even Worse. Um, Basically, there's this guy at the University of Connecticut uh, who has figured out a way, believe it or not, to process the data of history into a mathematical model so that he is then able to predict what's going to happen in the future. And you're like, wow, no way. Uh, Ten years ago, he predicted that 2020 would be a crazy year. And uh, now, you know, you guessed it, he's predicting that the next decade will be, as he says, an age of discord. So according to this guy, Western civilization is about to blow up. Now, part of me is like, wow, it took you a mathematical model to figure that out. Like, you know, well done. Yeah, the world is hard right now. But the other part of me, and along with a lot of scholars and universities that are kind of listening to this guy and the people at The Atlantic who thought that this guy's stuff was worth publishing in The Atlantic uh, kind of shivers a little bit, right? We've had pandemics in 2020, wildfires that are like worse than ever, racial violence, rioting, political upheaval, like the worst hurricane season in recent memory. And all this has made the phrase, the end of the world, to be trending. This is our last Sunday in our gotcha sermon series in the delicious Matthew 22. Uh, And I hope you've loved it as much as I have. It's been great fun. We've heard all these people ask Jesus these political and cultural questions. Uh, We've heard Jesus ask some questions back. And if you have your Bible and you're looking at Matthew chapter 22, um, he's having this conversation with all these people in the temple. And then in Matthew 23, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he goes into this long section of giving woes towards the scribes and the Pharisees. And we kind of summed that up and did the abbreviated version on All Saints. Um, And all of that is happening on the Tuesday of Holy Week in the temple in Jerusalem. But here's what happens next after this big scene, okay? So open up with me your Bible to chapter 24. If you're at your house, uh, I encourage you to go grab your Bible. Open with me to Matthew 24. Uh, For our volunteers who are here, you can either open your Bible or open up to the page in the bulletin. Here's what happens next after this epic scene. Chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus leaves this great scene in the temple and says to those closest to him, oh yeah, by the way, you know that these are all going to fall down, right? It's all going to come to an end. This would be like Jesus in 2020 in Madison debating Republicans and Democrats and evangelicals and Catholics and everybody on the square in Madison, having this epic conversation. And then as he's leaving the Capitol, saying to those closest to him, you know the Capitol is going to all fall down, right? You know it's all going to be utterly destroyed. 
As crazy as that sounds to us, it would have even been crazier to his disciples. Uh, the Capitol in Madison is the seat of our government, Constance's government, but the temple was the seat of God, right? So to people in Jesus' day, that would have sounded like treason and betrayal, blasphemy. And yet, that is what Jesus means. Not one stone would be left upon another. And this verse, the opening verses of Matthew 24, begins the next great block of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, which is verses 24 and 25. Um, Jesus goes up at night after he leaves the temple to the Mount of Olives during Holy Week, and it's there he kind of pulls back the veil of eternity and gives his disciples this picture, this perspective of the end of the world. So to give you a little context, it would be like you're downtown in Madison at the Capitol Square. You're hearing Jesus engage all the really hot topics of, of 2020, um, as we've kind of tried to do over these past, I don't know, a couple months. But then it's like him leaving and taking you with him as, as the sun is setting to Picnic Point and building a fire on the very end of Picnic Point and by firelight and starlight saying, I want to tell you what's going to happen in the end of all things. Let me give you some bigger perspective outside of 2020. That's what's happening here. Bible nerds call this section in the Gospel of Matthew the Olivet Discourse because it's all happening out under the stars on the Mount of Olives. Now, um, before we get into it, it's important we talk about it because people debate a lot about whether Jesus is referring to the end of all history uh, in what he's about to say. So when Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, as we say in the creed, or whether he's referring to something that would happen 40 years after him in the year AD 70. Um, in AD 70, in response to a Jewish revolution, we've talked about how Jerusalem was a powder keg. Well, the powder keg finally got lit and exploded. A bunch of Jews revolted against Roman rule, and the emperor Titus, in the year 70, came into town and sacked Jerusalem, and you guessed it, tore down the temple. So we know Jesus is giving his disciples some perspective here in these chapters. The question is, is he giving what I would like to call capital E, end of the world perspective, like the very, very end of all things? Or is he giving them perspective about their own lowercase e, end of the world in first century Jerusalem? Because that's what that would have felt like to them, right? Having your city come down and the temple torn down. The answer, we can confidently say, because this happens a lot in scriptures, is both. He does literally refer to his second coming in the final judgment in this chapter, in chapter 24. But we also see him preparing his disciples for things that they would actually experience. And the reason... His words can cut both ways like this. We see this in prophecies in the Old Testament where they have an application to the capital E end of the world and the lowercase e personal stuff that we're experiencing. The reason his words can cut both ways like this is because Jesus' focus is more on building up our Christian faith and courage and integrity in times of upheaval than it is in like giving us charts about when and how apocalyptic things are going to take place. So, uh, hence the sermon title, it's kind of like a field manual for the end of the world, whether it's capital E or lowercase e. Um, as a kid, I used to love the how to survive books about like, if you're lost and you're stranded and you're abandoned, here's what you do. And it's less about the situations and more about principles like find water, don't eat every mushroom you could see because you could die because some of them kill you. 
don't feed the bears, like stuff like that. And that's kind of what we have here. Yes, it is the field manual for the end of the world when great things are shaken. But Christians who lived during the fall of Jerusalem, can you imagine what that would have felt like? Christians who lived, I'm currently reading The City of God by St. Augustine, which he wrote after Rome fell, which was by that time Christian, and that felt like the end of the world. Christians during the Black Plague, can you imagine COVID times like a billion? I can't imagine what it was like for those people. People in 1942 who lived in, I don't know, France, Russia, it was also right for those people to reference these chapters. In particular, there are four things in this little section, uh, four principles in this field manual for the end of the world that I want to look at today that I think come out really strongly from Jesus. And as a conclusion to this sermon series, as a conclusion to this year before we start the new church calendar in Advent, it is such a good and fitting thing for us to contemplate as a church. Okay, let's go back to basics. What does Jesus want to encourage our church in times of upheaval? And we have had lots of upheaval. So, four things from Jesus' field manual for the end of the world. The first is this. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Look with me at verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, so he just got to picnic point, the disciples came to him privately after they heard him say that crazy thing about the temple and were like, um, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They're like, give us a little more on that, please. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. First thing he says, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. First thing Jesus tells his people is don't be fooled. And he says that because he knows when things get crazy, the false prophets and the charlatans come out of the woodwork. Don't you remember at the beginning of COVID, there was like this race to who would get that viral, amazing, prophetic, here's what's going to happen in 2020 as this was sweeping over the Atlantic Ocean towards us? Same thing for our political situation right now. People are coming out of the woodwork and saying, I've got the key. I know what's going to happen. Here's why it's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's what's happening in the future. And this is true of our secular, political, cultural, academic prophets, like the guy from the Atlantic who's figured out like, how to solve history with math, right? It's also true of religious, even Christian false prophets. Anytime things get weird, you hear a flurry of prophetic activity, people saying, I know what's going to happen. Jesus' words here are really sharp. Don't be fooled. No one has the key or really knows what's going to happen. There is only one person who has the key and who knows what's going to happen. And who's that? My volunteers? Jesus. And what's the one thing that he says? Nobody knows. Isn't that fascinating? The one guy who you would go to say no, he's saying, I don't want you to be fooled. Everybody else is going to come and try to lead you astray, but nobody has the key. Don't be fooled. Now is the time to cling to the prophetic power and perspective of God's word more than we look to the foresight or insight of other people. Amen? 
No one knows. No one's the Christ but Jesus. Don't be fooled. Number one. The second is like it. And that is, don't be afraid. Look at verse six. He uses the same language, but he says one other thing. Verse six. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Um, In times that feel like the end of the world, the crazy false prophets come out, like we talked about, uh, and the fear mongers come out, right? Uh, Who scream about wars and rumors of wars. These are the people who just lose it and run into the streets and are like, Give up hope. We're all going to die. You know, like, take matters into your own hands. God's not on the throne. Like, ah. This is the guy in Jurassic Park who just can't hold it together, and he just runs outside, right? Um, A scholar I was reading this week said, in these two things, you get Jesus protecting us against miracle mongers and fear mongers in crazy times, which I thought was a good way to put it. Notice Jesus doesn't deny things are going nuts, okay? This is really important. He says nation will rise against nation There will be famines and earthquakes. There will be political and natural calamities, and we've had our share of both. So Jesus is not saying to his disciples to be ignorant or that, oh, it's not really that hard. No, he's addressing it. It is hard. When Jesus says, don't be alarmed, he's talking about that deeper fear that when there is upheaval, feeling, we believe, the false thing that things have gone back to chaos, God is not on the throne. He didn't plan for this. This is outside of his power. But Jesus says, see that you're not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Um, When my wife and I were doing our marriage prep before we got married, we took a class on conflict resolution, and we read a lot of books about how hard marriage was and about how arguments in marriage are really hard, and it's hard. And we were reading it, and we were like, whoa, this sounds fun. You know, like, what are we getting ourselves into here? Um, But we were reassured that all this preparation before we were married of thinking about how hard it was going to be wasn't for the sake of just being alarmist. It was to help us prepare for it so that when we were in marriage, we were prepared. We weren't shocked when we met things that were hard in our conflict. That's what Jesus is saying here. 2020 does not surprise the person who is rooted in God's word. We will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains crash into the sea. Really? The scriptures prepare us for these things, and not only that, we have the gifts to work through it, which is what the conflict preparation did. It's like, oh, that's why we studied all this stuff about conflict is really hard. That's what Jesus wants to do for us here. Don't be alarmed. Um, in these two first charges, if you read that, these first verses we just read, Jesus is calling his people brothers and sisters, to doctrinal and emotional sobriety. Jesus wants to take his people, and he just wants to bring their pulse down. Even as bombs are falling, don't be fooled. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. He's with his disciples under starlight. Breathe deep, guys. This leads to the third thing. Third thing, don't give up. Don't give up. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. 
and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In this bit, Jesus focuses in on the people of God, on the, on the community of faith. In verse 9, he says in the middle of, of crazy times, persecution of the church always increases. This was true in Jesus' day. It was true at the fall of Rome. It's true around the world today. This is an outside-in sort of suffering. But then in verses 10 to 12, notice he also says there will be kind of an inside suffering from division and from hatred amidst the people of God. People will be falling away from the faith. People will start betraying each other and hating each other. The community will be divided. And I think verse 12 is the verse that pierces my heart most, where because lawlessness is increasing, the love of many that once was, was once warm and rich will go cold. It's like the pilot light goes out. That's tragic, what Jesus says. And if you were in the middle of all that, if you were experiencing persecution from the outside as things are being shaken, and on the inside, you're being hated, you're even being betrayed, what would that make you want to do? Tap out, right? I'm done with church. I've had enough of this. I'm done with Jesus. I'm either going to move to the woods and burn my credit cards and my license and go full Ron Swanson in the wilderness or I'm going to just convert to a political ideology. I'm going to pick up an AK-47 because I've had enough of this. We've experienced this this year. People have experienced this much more profoundly in different seasons. But you can see the seeds of it if things got worse, right? I think COVID and race and politics have done greater damage to the church through division. Not just saying Christ Church Madison, but the broader church in America than anything else. Jesus, again, is not sugarcoating anything, right? He's acknowledging it's a reality. His call is to endurance. Don't give up. Don't let go. Don't let the, the current in the river right now in our culture, just don't let go and just be swept up by it. Hang in there. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of reasons to ditch church and Jesus right now. And I just want to be honest with that. There's a lot of division and unhealth in our culture. And again, I'm, when I say church, I do mean Christ Church Madison, but I also mean just in general. Uh, there's a lot of division and unhealth in our culture that has unfortunately crept into the church. Live streams are not the best. They work, but we'll all admit we all wish we were here together. There's a lot of persecution around the world, and I think in our own way, uh, from all sides, for those who would really follow Jesus right now, but don't give up. Don't let 2020 steal Jesus in the church from you, amen? Don't give up, hang in there. If you feel isolated, hang in there. You're not alone. So many people feel isolated right now. You're not alone. If you feel divided, if you feel like, I just don't know if I can be in the same congregation with that person who believes this, hang in there. If you feel indifferent, if you're like, I just can't do 
disembodied church anymore. We're all doing the best we can. Hang in there. Endure. Don't be fooled. Don't be afraid. Don't give up, no matter what. That's where Jesus has brought us so far in this field manual. But he ends this section by landing on this beautiful, big, bright major chord. The fourth charge is this. Get out there and preach. Don't be fooled. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. And get out there and preach. Look at verse 14. Jesus is talking about all this crazy stuff. You wouldn't expect him to end this way. But he says, And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus' first three things are all about defense, right? Here's what I don't want you to do. But he finishes by talking about offense. Here's what I want you to focus on. And what is that? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom throughout the whole world. As bombs are falling, as pandemics are spreading, as hurricanes are picking up speed, get out there and preach the gospel so people can hear about it. And what is the good news of the kingdom? Jesus says this. Isn't that interesting? Again, I think it's in the whole Jesus story. But the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom on this Christ the King Sunday, brothers and sisters, is that though all nations and all institutions will one day fall, including America, though all stones of every temple on earth, every capital building will eventually be torn down, there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That though throughout history there have been countless false prophets, countless charlatans who were self-interested, who were greedy for power, who lost their morals, their ethical integrity, who died, who weren't eternal, there is a Christ. And he entered into our world that was falling apart, this world that is shaky, he was betrayed. He was persecuted, just like Jesus says. He experienced the love of everyone closest to him go cold. You don't think that's what he felt when he was by himself and he was betrayed by all of his closest friends before his death? He was caught in between the gears of broken, wicked political and religious institutions, and he was crucified so that we could be forgiven for all the times we have given up, we have betrayed others, and when our pilot light of love has gone out. But he rose from the dead, and as our Eucharistic prayer says, when he did that, that was a sign that he was trampling hell and Satan under his feet. And Jesus makes really clear to his disciples, the temple itself, the one with actual physical stones, was torn down, but the real temple of his body was raised back up. And ever since then, Jesus has been in the process of building a new temple, except the stones look different. Who are the stones? Us. Jesus is the cornerstone. And the church, which nothing will prevail against, nothing will tear down, not even the gates of hell, 
is being built back up with the stones of the church of the people of God. It's amazing. And one day, at the capital E, end of the world, He will come again to judge the living, those who are still alive, and those who have passed before. And He will establish His kingdom forever, and He will sit on the throne as Christ the King. And His eternal dominion will be established on justice and righteousness and beauty and all things that you want to write songs and poems about. And He will heal the nations. Amen? and establish a new heavens and a new earth, and He will wipe away every tear from the eye, and His kingdom will be eternal. That's good news. That's what Jesus is saying. Man, in the middle of all this, that's what you have the opportunity to talk about. That's what Jesus doesn't want you to be fooled away from. Don't let anybody else drag you away from this gospel. That's why He doesn't want you to be afraid. It's not just like somebody saying, quit being afraid. Say, no, remember. That's why he wants you to hang in there. Don't give up. And this is what we have to preach. I walk my dog three times a day, and uh, my, my wife and I joke about how sometimes, unfortunately, it feels like you know all the animals in your neighborhood better than the people. You know, it's like, oh, hey, like Roscoe. It's like, I don't know what your name is, but I know all the dogs. But I meet people throughout COVID routinely, yeah, life is horrible, just trying to hang in there, you know, like what glib things you say when you're dog walking, like, yeah, well, blessings, you know, and I just thought this week, my conviction was, it would be easy for me to preach this gospel to people while I'm walking my dog. How are you? COVID's hard. Yeah, absolutely. You know what, though? Can I tell you about the gospel of the kingdom really quick? It would take me one minute to do that. You don't think people want to hear this? Don't be fooled. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Get out there and preach. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to the end of uh, just a season of thinking about these things as a church, we've been through so many live streams and celebrated Eucharist in so many unique ways, Lord. There have been rioting, there have been pandemics, uh, there have been election seasons that we are still in, which is unsettled. Lord, we pray that your people would be full of the gospel of the kingdom. And Lord, we know all of this depends on an encounter with Christ the King himself. Lord, we do ask that you would be enthroned in our midst. We rejoice at this gospel of the kingdom. Would you fill our minds and our hearts and our mouths with it more and more as we enter into Advent and into this new liturgical and calendar year after, after the holiday season. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.